Jesus came from heaven to earth to teach us who God is. And he never spoke more clearly than in the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus says, a man had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Father, give me the share of your estate that should come to me. We usually receive our inheritance when our parents die, so it's as if the younger son went to his father and said, I could care less whether you're dead or alive. Give me what's coming to me, and I'm out of here. I kind of know how this feels because when I went away to college, I'm the oldest sibling, so I had the biggest room in the house. And before I even went away to college, my younger brother started moving his stuff into my room. And, and one day I, I came into the room and he was drilling a hole in the wall and pulling a cable through so he could watch ESPN in his bed, which was still my bed. So I know a little bit how the father felt. So the son asked for his inheritance and the father is grieved and worried. But he doesn't force his son to stay. He gives him his share and he lets him go. I'm sure that for the son, the first weeks felt like absolute freedom. He's no longer bound by the rules of his father's house. He goes off to a distant country where no one knows him. There are no expectations. He can recreate himself and be whoever he wants to be. And his pockets are fat with cash. So he becomes the life of the party. Friends start to gather around. And it lasts for one or two or three weeks. But then the money starts to run dry. And all of a sudden, a famine strikes that country. And he's left with nothing. And his friends are gone. He's so hungry and alone that he goes to hire himself out to work in a field with swine, which for the Jewish people were impure animals. The Gospel says, And he longed to eat his fill of the pods on which the swine fed but nobody gave him any. He started out as the beloved son of an important man, and he ended up coveting the slop of an impure animal. And that's what sin does to us, doesn't it? It promises freedom and leaves us imprisoned. It promises us friends and leaves us alone. It promises us exaltation and leaves us degraded. So he decides to go home. He knows that he has no chance now of returning as a son, but he thinks, maybe I can return at least as a hired hand. Maybe I can work at the field, and at least I won't suffer hunger. So he prepares his apology, and he makes his way back. Now listen to what the Gospel says. While he was still a long way off, his father caught sight of him and was filled with compassion. While he was still a long way off, that is to say, the father was looking for him. He would go out every day to the gate, to the edge of the property and watch down the road waiting for his son to come home. He was looking for him and when he caught him a glimpse of him still a long ways off, the father went running. In the ancient Near East, it was beneath the dignity of a grown man to run. But the father doesn't care. He sees his son, and so he hikes up his tunic, and he runs. And when he finds him, he embraces him and kisses him. 
his son begins his apology, which he's rehearsed a thousand times on the way home. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. But the father won't even let him finish. He embraces him tighter and begins to command the servants, go, bring the best robe, bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals for his feet. Go kill the fatted calf. Then let us celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And Jesus is telling us, this is who God is. And this is how he loves you. He's waiting for you to come home, looking out for you every day. And when you decide to come home, he's not going to be waiting there with a long list of infractions. He'll receive you with a robe, with the finest robe and with a feast. Because that's how he loves you. And now we come to the story of the older son. The gospel says, Now the older son had been out in the field, and on his way back he neared the house and he heard the sound of music and dancing. But instead of being excited, he's suspicious. And so he calls a servant and asks him what's going on. When the servant tells him that his brother is back and his father has thrown a feast, he refuses to go in. When the father finds out that the older son is outside, he goes to plead with him. And his son replies, Look, all these years I served you, and not once did I disobey your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf. There's a bitterness towards his brother that's been festering in his heart all this time. So much so that he can't even bring himself to call himself his brother, to call him his brother. He says, your son, not my brother, your son. And if we pay attention, I think that we'll find mixed in with his anger and resentment towards his brother, another more surprising attitude. As much as he hates his brother, he envies him. He was never bold enough to leave his father's house, but he's always resented his father's rules. He says, never once did I disobey any one of your orders. And even while he was judging his brother for being out partying, he was always dreaming of going out with his friends to slaughter a goat and have his own party. And we might experience the same contradiction in our own hearts. You know, maybe you see people around you going out and hooking up with a different person every weekend and you judge them or maybe you pity them. But there's a part of you that also envies them, that wish you could do the same thing. Well, that's what's going on in the heart of the older son. He resented his brother, but he also envied him. But his envy is based on two mistakes. First, he fails to see his brother's misery. He imagines that his brother's out spending money on prostitutes. And in fact, that's his own conjecture because the narrative never says anything about prostitutes. So obviously, the older brother has been daydreaming a little bit about 
what the younger brother is doing with his money. But he doesn't imagine his brother starving and lonely in a foreign country, coveting the slop of pigs. And we can make the same mistake. You know, maybe we look back on a life that we used to live or we see on social media a group of friends that we used to spend time with and it seems like they're living it up. And we've abandoned that life and, and we've left it behind because we know that it was a life that was leading us the wrong way. And yet, from the outside, it starts to seem appealing again. And even while we judge them, we envy them. And we wish we could do the same. But there's an illusion there because we only see things from the outside. We see the noise and the excitement and the thrill. But we don't hear the anxious thoughts running through their minds. We don't hear the terrible reproach of their conscience in the very act of sin. And we don't feel the emptiness that they feel when they wake up the next morning. In college, I lived in a fraternity. And, and early on in college, halfway through my freshman year, I decided I was done partying. But I was still living in a fraternity. So three nights a week, there was a party raging around me. And I can't tell you how many times someone would come and find me, wasted, and, and tell me, I want out of this. I'm done with this. I'm so tired of this. But no one would ever know that that's what was going on in their heart. Because an hour ago, they were the ones standing on a table shouting, puke and rally. And... But that's what was going on in their hearts. Even in the very act, it wasn't even awaiting for the next morning. Well, that's why it's a mistake to envy those who are lost in sin. Because under the appearance of thrill, sin leaves us empty. The second mistake that the older brother makes is that he doesn't know what he himself has. He feels like a slave in the house of a stingy master. He doesn't realize that he's living in his father's house. He doesn't know who his father is. He says, I never once disobeyed one of your orders, as if you were a slave. And he complains that he never once received even a goat to celebrate with his friends. He's complaining about never receiving some skinny animal when his father is in that moment inviting him into a feast. And listen to the tenderness of the father's response. My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. My son, everything I have is yours. And if we read carefully, we find that that's literally true. At the very beginning of this parable, when the younger son went and asked for his inheritance, the gospel says that the father divided it between the two of them. That is to say, the older son has already received everything. It all belongs to him. And yet he lives like a slave in his father's house. He thinks his father is stingy. Is that true? The younger son spit in his face, and the father gave him his inheritance. Is that stingy? The younger son went and spent everything and came back, and the father threw him a feast. Is that stingy? And now the older son 
is resentful and fuming outside, and the father goes and pleads with him to come in. He's not a stingy father. Tonight, Jesus wants to teach us who God is and how he loves us. If you're a younger son, if you've run from the father's house and you've tasted the emptiness of sin, come home. And if you're an older son and you're living like a slave in the father's house, if you've been following all the rules but always looking out the window, wishing you could do something else, the father is pleading with you, come home. Tonight, come home.